Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Alexis the Midwife. And I'm Becky the Doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Acast, iTunes and Spotify and follow us over on Instagram. So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. Today we are so excited to have the wonderful Nina Haley here for a chat. Nina is a mother of three, incredible yoga, body literacy and reproductive health educator, experienced doula and one of my go-to wise women. Nina, welcome to our podcast all the way from Kuwait. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And this is Becky. You finally get to meet her. I know I really do. I feel like I know you because you are genuinely Lex's wise woman. She's always like, hold on, let me just run that by Nina. I often say to Becky, I'm like, honestly, Nina and Becky are my wise women. I'm just going to put that out there. So it's so, so exciting to have you here and like the three of us can have this conversation today. I met Nina a few years ago now on a retreat in Morocco for doulas and midwives, sort of learning about the traditional postpartum journey for obviously, you know, a more sort of traditional setup in Morocco. And we just hit hit it off like massively, didn't we, Nina? Yes, we did. (laughs) (laughs) We were sharing stories and, oh, it was so amazing. I think it was just a magical place and you're just a magical person. So we just meshed really well. And I'm so happy that I met you. So happy. Yeah, no, it's absolutely lovely. I want to go back if it's okay, because obviously I know a lot of this about, you know, you, Nina, but listeners won't. How did you get into birth work originally? What brought you to this place? I would say it was the experience of birthing my first children, who Mm -hmm. happened to be twins. And when I found out I was pregnant, um, I was just like, I had this idea about my vulva and about my vagina. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I, I want to make sure that I have a natural vaginal birth because the first two doctors that I saw, automatically you're having twins. It's like cesarean section. Mm. And I was just mm. like, wow, I'm 23 years old. I'm healthy. You know, I was working out and I was just like, so why do I need to have a cesarean? And they, they couldn't give me an answer. They're like, oh, well, if you're having twins and da, 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 da. And so I looked for a midwife and I could not find a midwife in my local area that was um, 
willing to, you know, drive uh, because the closest one was like nine hours away mm. uh, to birth twins. And so I, I had a really good experience actually at the hospital. So I ended up having a hospital birth, but I found um, an OBGYN who was like, look, you're healthy. You can push these babies out if you like, and we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that I had a good birthing experience for the most part, but I was, I was upset that it was so difficult to just find someone who would listen to my wants and to my needs and my desires. Yeah. And, um, when I went back to birth them, it was me and my then husband and my doctor and a resident at the hospital, um, who was learning because uh, it was a teaching hospital. And that was, it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting experience, but I wish that I had had support, you know, because my husband, he didn't know what to do. I couldn't bring my mother back because they pushed me back to the OR. And I was just like, I, I wish that I could have had have someone that was there to just talk to me mm-hmm. and tell me that it was going to be okay and walk me through the process. And so from there, I was like, you know what? I would really enjoy doing this um, for other women, just supporting mm-hmm. them and, and listening to them and um, sharing information and knowledge so that they can advocate for themselves and speak for themselves about their wants and their desires for their bodies, for their babies, and for the experience that is going to last a lifetime. You know, yeah, definitely. it's like you talk to your mother or your grandmother or your great aunts and they remember the day that they gave birth. You never forget that day. Mm. It's an experience, you know, that just stays with you. And so my mission was to um, support women so that they could have the kinds of experience that they wanted, no matter what that was, whether they want an epidural, whether they want to have a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth or, you know, whether they want to be on all fours or do a headstand, someone there to just say, yes, you can. Yes, you deserve this. And I'll be here to support you. So that's how I got into this work. This, this was one of the things we discussed a lot while we were away. And I remember you have always been so like, so passionate, not just for the sake of it, but just truly and absolutely, um, you know, concerned and, passionate about women-centered care, you know, absolute consent, women really understanding what's happening to their body, women feeling informed, empowered, whatever way their birth looks like it's unfolding. Just for a bit of context here, where was this? This was in the States, wasn't it, Nina? Yes, yes. This was when I was in the United States. I've been in Kuwait for about Mm -hmm. eight years. Mm -hmm. Um, But just being in the United States and just seeing what women go through, and, and listening and hearing, um, they just want to be heard. That's it. Women just want to be heard on every level, but especially when you're bringing a new life into the world. That's, you know, that's something that we hold near and dear to our hearts. And yeah. they deserve to be listened to, to be held, to be truly supported in an unbiased, non-judgmental way. And I think that that's the most important thing. And that's the thing where a lot of people don't, they're not really listening Hmm. Um, or they have a little bit of their own bias or they have a judgment. And to truly support a woman who is about to birth a human being into this world, there can't be your own personal bias or your own personal judgment in there. You're just Hmm. there for support and to listen. 
and to yeah. hold them and, and hug them and you know <laughs> yeah. and that's what's missing isn't it because so I have a lot of women when I do my postnatal massages and they start getting really teary and I'm like it's okay you know when we when we release muscles we release emotions and they're like yeah but also mm. this is the first time somebody's touched me in a nurturing way since I've had my baby because there's a lot of prodding and poking and and I get mm. it like when you work in a hospital you are so bound by protocol and policies and you can't do this and you can't do that so even the most loving nurturing midwives that I know have to be hands off a lot of the time because just because that's that's how it works in there you know so that's Mm. where the doula I think can kind of just fill that little bit of void can't they and just bring a bit of you know just a handhold or holding a foot or it's amazing Mm -hmm. like I remember I had a student midwife at my birth who was amazing she acted like a doula and I remember her just squeezing my foot at one point when I was feeling a little bit like I was losing control and it was just so grounding and amazing I feel like you've both been doulas probably for a similar sort of time like quite both of you like well over a decade and I know you're both doing slightly different things at the moment that's part of the journey, isn't it? But certainly yeah. I think you both bring an absolute wealth of, of experience. And it's really interesting, actually, because Becky, you and I have had this conversation a lot. I think people sometimes think it's an interesting pairing that I would go to doulas, you know, yeah. for their wealth of knowledge, for their experience. I mean, I'm a qualified midwife, for goodness sake. I've been in midwifery since, you know, 2004 or whatever. But I'm like, but you you get the time with the women and you yeah. get to bring the 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 holistic, the advocacy, the the loving nurture, the support, the nourishment, all of that. And I want that as part of what, you know, I'm able to bring to the table as well when I'm with women. I think yeah, that really definitely. enriches any midwife's career, to be honest, tapping into, um, you know, the work doulas do. And actually, to be honest, if I was ever, uh, you know, at a birth and with women and either of you two walked into the room, <laughs> I would be so relieved and happy that so much like TLC was coming in um, and so much support for the women that we were working with. So Nina, Lex and I often share memories about births that we've been at because obviously when birth workers oh. get together, it's something that happens. And there's always, we've just got so many sort of funny or heartwarming stories. Have you got a couple that really stand out that you sort of would never forget? Yes. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot. So there's one, there was uh, this beautiful couple. And I remember the, the expectant mother had a lot of expectations for herself, which was amazing. And she, she was practicing yoga and she had her, her, nut- her nutrients down pat. She was doing my fitness pal. She was walking Um, She was meditating and she just had this idea in her head because she'd given birth, you know, vaginally before. So she had, Mm. I know what's happening. I've got this, you know, I know. And then a transition hit. And she had had, she'd had one of those, I guess we'll call it a mini epidural, you know, where I think Mm. she said she was about like an eight or a 10. So she's like, I could still feel. And it was, you know, she's like, "I, I know I can handle this. And so the moment, you know, I knew she was coming into it. She's on all fours and I'm squeezing her hips and her husband is stroking her hair and rubbing her back. And we're just in this beautiful rhythm. And then the next minute you just heard it come. And then she starts asking somebody, please bring me the epidural. Give I need Tylenol, codeine, PM. She's asking for everything. And we're just like, babe, it's too late. So we just have to make our way through here. So she's banging on the bed and she's like, please, somebody just give me a Tylenol. And we're like, okay, a Tylenol is not going to do anything for you. But 
<laughs> so we, we just continued through this beautiful rhythm. And um, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it because it was so beautiful. Yeah. And then she, she starts to say, she's like, I can't do it. You know, I don't think I can do this. Please, somebody just give me something. And so I just looked at her husband and her husband just, he put his, his head down by her head and he just started like talking to her and it was so beautiful. And, um, it was like her strength. Oh my goodness. Mm, <laughs> it was oh. like her strength. Her strength just came from the, the sweet words that he mm. said to her and she yeah. was on all fours and she just pushed out this baby in like six pushes. And it was, mm, it was no. amazing. It was fantastic. Um, but we laughed about that, um, afterwards as she, we were like, do you know that you ask us to give you Tylenol? And she was like, I did. <laughs> so just the, the things that, that women say, you know, um, yeah. that was, that was probably the funniest to just listen to her go through Advil, Tylenol, mm. codeine, and yeah. <laughs> all kinds of different yeah. drugs that she anything, wanted. Anything, <laughs> anything. Anything. I love that, that transition moment though, isn't it? I actually had one woman who cracked me up. She was so calm and quiet. And then as transition hit, she got off the bed and she went, no, nah, I ain't doing this. I ain't doing it. And she just got up and started packing her bag. <laughs> And we were, and her husband was really shocked. And I was like, "It's fine, it's fine. She's just got to get it out. She's got to get this kind of bit of rage that's coming, and then the power will come." And she was like shoving things in the bag, you know. And I was like, "Babe, you can't go. You know, you, your baby's coming." <laughs> I had the exact same thing, and I think it's literally it's adrenaline does incredible yeah. things to us. We go to a place in our subconscious, I think, especially in those last throes of birthing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's something spiritual in those moments just before a baby enters this mm. this part of, of the, the world, their lives, where yeah. I think we just, we're kind of like outside of time and space, just momentarily. And it's a truly bizarre experience, really incredible, magical, but quite odd as well, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. So Nina, you started doing your sort of advocacy and doula work after you had the twins. Mm-hmm. Were you doing it when you, by the time you got to round to your second pregnancy then? Were you already in your birth work at that point? I was. I'd say I was a part-time doula at that time. Mm -hmm. And I was doing some childbirth education. I think I was selling cloth diapers and, you know, in the baby wearing realm. And so it was more so, I would say like that, I wasn't doing it as a business. It was more so like Mm -hmm. support of friends and and women that I knew in the baby wearing group and women that I knew in the cloth diaper circle. So it was more, it was more so just kind of like that, like, you know, dipping your toe in kind of doula work. And then someone was just like, you know, you're really good at this. Like you, you don't judge, you don't, you know, you don't try to advocate for, but it's more so like offering the tools so that women can advocate and advocate for themselves and empower themselves. I don't want to say that that's kind of what, that, that that's what separated me or made me a little bit different, but there is, there are like two different types of doulas. I don't know. Becky knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> there's, you know, there's the doula that, that really does just whatever you want. I'm there to support you. And then there's the doulas that do, they kind of have certain types of births that they want to attend because it's easier for them. But I find that it doesn't matter what environment a woman gives birth in. She just wants someone there to support and to listen and to just hold her. Mm. And yeah, 
It's like when you're going through this massive transition and no matter whether you've experienced it before, because no birth is the same, <laughs> no birth is the same. Yeah. All of them are different. Um, but you know, Lex, you were talking about that threshold where you, you just see that transition as the woman goes into, she's transitioning into that second stage or she's transitioning, you know, into her more active labor. Sorry. And it's like, something just happens, something clicks and she draws inside of herself. And it's like, you see this strength come from out of nowhere and maybe yeah. it's influenced by her partner. Mm. Maybe it's influenced by you, the doula, but something happens and you just see that shift and it's like total yeah. concentration. And it is like a spiritual moment where it's just her mm -hmm. and the power of birth and that baby and nothing yeah. else. Mm. And it's beautiful to it's beautiful to witness. It doesn't matter how many times you see women come into their power. I still get tingles because it's just I don't know, it's like women at their utter most amazing, you know, that sort of roaring power that they get and I still just go mm. I get so excited for them because it's just yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's just the best thing. Oh, yeah. you can feel it in the air. You can feel yeah. it in the room. Like it's yeah. just, it's absolutely incredible. Definitely. And you're absolutely right, Nina. And we, we, the three of us know this. It's like such an honor to sort of bear witness to that, but not just once or twice, but to be in the profession where you get to see it over and over and over for so many different women from different walks of life, from different experiences, all mm. have that kind of like camaraderie, that moment that, that they experience that. Yeah. And in an instant it's over, <laughs> which is the yes. most fascinating yes. part. I talk about this, Nina, exactly this, because I, I said I said this in the pilot episode. I had this really, really emotional experience where I felt like my dad's energy was with me when I birthed my second baby. And I said mm. it was like suddenly the second the baby was here, everything just went into I'm back in the room again. The, the energy mm. I was just drawing from seems to have left the room and I'm back here in this moment in real life again and in real time. And it was... I, I totally know what you mean. It's, it's again, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And then it's like, it disappears and then it comes back just a tiny bit when the placenta needs to come out. <laughs> yeah. Just a tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. You feel, yes. and then it's like, and then it's mm. finally over. So you, you, you get to see it is, it's like this little wave mm. of, of, it is, it's a wave of energy. I think of, I think of birthing kind of like the, the fertile wave, you know, and you just ride it. You just, you just ride that wave as it moves up and down and up and down. And then it's finally over. And then it's like, wow. Mm, and, and then there's yeah. the moment when everything is done, the baby is here and you just get to witness that, that connection between, mm. you know, whoever is there. And, and then it's like your, your job is done kind of, sort mm -hmm. of. And, it, you know, you just take those couple of steps back and just watch the family um, whoever that consists of, just want to watch them bond um, mm. and just be in that, 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 that experience of bliss. Um, it really is beautiful. It's beautiful to witness. And I do this work, mm. or, you know, I've always done this work for women to support mm. women. Um, I think there's a common misconception, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you must really love babies. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I love women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. women. <laughs> love supporting women. Absolutely. Yeah. The babies so, are a little yeah. bonus. But yeah, they are. it's absolutely the women. No, quite. We, and we, again, we discussed this as well. It's, I mean, it's, it's with women, isn't it? That's our role. Yeah. 
That's what we're there for. So after having twins and then you went on to have one baby, Mm -hmm. what was that like, kind of the difference between having, you know, multiples and then a little singleton there? Oh, well, it was a completely different experience because um, with my youngest, I had a home birth. So I was with my midwife. I was with a doula. um, I was in this beautiful, warm tub in my bedroom. And it was, my kids were there, you know, my mom was there and my sister was there. So the experiences were, were very different, but I will say that, I don't know if it's my little Gemini. She's my little Gemini. Um, she was very resistant. She did not want to come earthside. She was not ready. She liked being inside (laughs) on my right side, pushing the right half of my pelvis down. Um, But it was a beautiful experience, um, but completely different from birthing Mm -hmm. in a hospital. Not to say that it was better or worse, but it was Mm -hmm. just, it was a very long labor. And I think I had these expectations and there's something about giving birth the second and the third time is it's like you have an idea in your head and you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, you know, I did this before. This is going to, this is a cakewalk. You know, I know what's going to happen. Transition is going to hit in, you know, and I'm going to be ready to push this baby out and it should be a shorter labor. No, it was double the amount of time. And Mm. I remember at one point being in that tub and I didn't even know this, but they told me that I asked for an epidural really. And I was like, no, I didn't. And they were like, no, yeah, you did. You yelled it. You said you wanted an epidural (laughs) and we had to tell you. Like, yeah, sorry, Nina, <laughs> you can't get one. Isn't it funny how we forget uh, these things? I know, yeah, like I yeah. need an epidural. I thought I was just saying, you know, I, actually, I don't even remember even think, I remember thinking it, but I didn't know that mm. I said it out loud. I didn't know that I yelled mm-hmm. it apparently. Um, and I remember at one point I was just like, I just, I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to push. I'm just going to sit here leaning mm. back into my, into my then husband in this water. And I, you know, I had my doula and my midwife there and my mom was there and the midwife assistant. And I was just like, I can't push anymore. I'm totally exhausted. And I just, you know, I was talking about riding that wave and I just mm. rode each and every contraction. And I remember just I could, I could feel her descending. And my midwife said at one point, she's like, Nina, there's her head. Just reach down. And I was like, I can't. And then finally it was just like, it's like a light switch. Just, yeah. it just ting. And I was like, no, I can absolutely do this. And so I put my hand down and I felt her head and I could feel her hair. And I was like, oh, you know, mm. it's like something just happens. It just clicks. And I was like, no, I've got this. And so it was like one push. She came out and it was it was an amazing experience. Mm. I mean, I would say both of my birthing experiences were amazing, but so vastly different in different environments with different people mm. and yet still so beautiful to the point yeah. where, you know, I was like, oh, it, yeah, it's just fascinating I, how, how it happens. <laughs> I think that's yeah. really interesting and important to know, because I think. You know, we've discussed this before that there, there really isn't such thing as a perfect birth. What would that even look like? What, and that's so mm. different for, from one person to the next anyway. Mm. I also had three very different births, but all really very positive and, you know, incredibly empowering births. And I would do it again tomorrow, but we're not having any more children. But I, I, I know what you mean. Like, and they took different pathways than I was expecting. And like my second, my, my first was an unplanned home birth and my second was an unplanned hospital birth. And I was like, but somehow along the way, 
I just, uh, you know, with the people I was I was there with, the midwives, the doctors, Dan, my husband, myself, I guess, as well, and the preparation I'd done, I, I managed to draw such positivity from from those those different births, and I, I think of them equally as incredible and special in my life. Uh, yeah. Even though, like I said, hospital, you know, baby at home, different experiences altogether. What about you, Becky? What do you think? Yeah, I had the same. I, I had the same as Nina in that I. I always feel like we have to check what expectations we've put on our birth because I did the same with my second. I was like, well, it's going to be fast, isn't it? Because it's my second and it was really long and I was really <laughs> disappointed and I was a bit bummed out. And I, was, I remember being at home and being in a bit of a funk and the midwife going, come on, you should have known better than that. And I was like, I know, I know, but I just thought it'd be quick. And, and But I had the same as you. Like I remember being in the pool and having a like, oh, I just can't do it anymore. I just can't do it. I need everyone to just leave me alone. Because it was like, there was a lot of coaching because I couldn't quite get around the bend and... I was like, no, I'm not pushing. I just, and I, and it's amazing, isn't it? How we know that our, we need a rest. Like I just was like, I need time out. Just leave me be. Mm. So they all went into the kitchen and mm. I was like, I just want to be on my own and just go and have a cup of tea. And then as soon as they left and I just stopped, I could feel her moving down. And I was like, and then I just remember going, the head's coming. And they all came running back in again. And it was, mm. I just needed a moment without mm. all these people around me, you know, sort of, um, and I, and I love how in tune we can be sometimes where, you know, I, my, I almost got a sense of everyone out. Whereas usually I'd be too polite and be like, oh, no, no, you're all fine. And I love that about birth as well, how women just say what they mean. Like there's something really lovely about yes. that raw mm. communication. I really do like that. Mm-hmm. So Nina, how was your transition into motherhood? Like maybe both times, because I guess it was quite, quite different, wasn't it? With, with twins. Because there's always that million dollar question of like, is it easier having twins first time round or second time round? Do you know? Because you're like, first time round, do you know any different? Or second time yeah. round, is it like, oh, you know, so how did you find it? Oh, so, well, first, um, my twins were completely unexpected. I was, uh, yeah, I, I think I was, was one of those women that was like, oh, I'll never have kids. I just, it was just not something that I saw for myself. But then when I found out that I was pregnant and then I was having twins, I was like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. Like, and it was, it was, it was awesome because I didn't know any different. And I think I, I shocked a lot of people. I think a lot of people, they just saw me kind of fall into motherhood and I was very nurturing. And it was like, I just became a completely different person. And, um, yeah, it was, it was actually, it's really amazing. Like I always tell my, my oldest two, I'm like, you two were the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, I'm not the same Nina. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) But because I didn't know any better, it just seemed really easy. It was like, oh, okay, you know, got two boobs, breastfeed two babies. You know, uh, they they slept in the crib together and then they they co-slept in the bed with um, me and my then husband. And it was just like, um, it was a little bit more work, but it seemed okay because I'd only experienced them. Mm, And then, you know, seven years later when I had my youngest, it was like, oh, I just tossed her up on my back. And, you know, we were all over the place. Like, yeah, she was, <laughs> she was easy. You know, she still yeah. is easy because I've already been through it kind of like twice mm-hmm. um, with yeah. two very different personalities. And, and I just kind of settled into, um, you know, being a mother. And I think mm-hmm. it was just very a natural transition, it felt like for me. And I guess I just ended up being kind of good at it, you know? 
Like just mm. yeah, being a good mom, you know, and actually what does even define a good mom? I don't even know what defines a good mother, but I, I, I ask my kids all the time, like, am I a good mom? And they're like, you're awesome. So I'm like, okay, I must be doing something right. <laughs> but oh. two very different experiences, you know, breastfeeding one baby versus breastfeeding two, you know, getting yeah. one child to sleep versus two, you know, and then mm. they got on this routine of, one was asleep and the other one would wake up mm. and then that one would fall asleep and then the other one would wake up. And it's just like, oh, I only have one that wakes up and goes to sleep this time. Yeah. And <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty cool. I'm so in awe of multiple mamas. I remember going around to do a postnatal massage for a woman who had triplets. And I was like, oh, OK. So we had one on the boob, one in the in the um, she had like a little hammocky thing. And I had one in a carrier and we would rotate them throughout the massage because the one in the hammock would be like, hey, hold on a minute. I'm on my own over here. So we'd have to keep <laughs> swapping them around. And the mum was so calm. And I was like, getting a proper sweat on and was like you know bouncing this baby because I was only used to having one baby at a time and she was just serene and just you know like each baby we would put on the breast she was like oh hey little one and I was like wow you know that was her reality and she was so calm with it and I left there going wow she's amazing that's so beautiful (laughs) so yeah yeah I think this is all very much a part of your you are so nurturing though Nina and I think that's it, it just makes perfect sense that that's how you would, you know, you'd adapt to it all. I found becoming a mother for the first time really surprisingly like hard work, which I know sounds awful to say, but I actually found becoming a mum for the second and the third time and actually the third time specifically so, so much easier. And actually it was interesting because when I had three people would say to me often, oh, you've got your hands full. And I was like, honestly, the third one is a walk in the park. It was something for me about transitioning from having no kids at all. And I was living in London and, you know, I was working as a midwife. We'd all go out for drinks after work on the South Bank. And and then, and Dan was working a lot away. And I remember also being quite cocky and thinking, well, I'm a midwife. I do night shifts. So not sleeping is not going to bother me. And it totally, like, I did find it quite hard <laughs> working around a baby's agenda. And it did, mm. it, was a, it was a bit of an adapting time for me. I also don't know if you, you felt like this, because obviously you were 23 at the time, but I was 28 and really none of my friends were quite having babies just yet. And so Mm -hmm. I found there were moments of feeling a little bit lonely because my friends were still out and living their lives in London and going out for meals and stuff. And it was definitely a period of transition for me, I would say, the first Mm, time around. Yeah, it was the same. Um, And honestly, when I became a mom, it was like I had to go out and literally Mm. kind of find new friends Um, because I was younger and, you know, my friends didn't have children. And I think I I kept a few of those relationships, but you, you do, it's like, it's like your priorities are different at the time. Um, And it can be quite lonely. My, and I have a, I have one sister and she didn't have any children at the time, but she was like my biggest cheerleader. Like, oh my goodness, Auntie Auntie Kiki was, you know, she was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we did everything together at that time. And then she had her daughter a little bit later and she experienced the same thing. You know, her, the friends that she had, you know, they just kind of, she's like, I have, she's like, I'm a mom now. Like I, I can't just up and go get my nails done now. And I can't just up and, you know, run to the mall with you. It does mm. become a lot different. And I would say it's, that's where postpartum doulas can come in. 
mm-hmm. for that support. Yeah. Birth doulas are amazing. I think postpartum doulas are so much more needed because mm-hmm. women do go through that transition of kind of losing themselves a bit. And it takes a while mm-hmm. to regain that, that sense of self. And you often kind of forget who you are and like, oh my goodness, who am I now that I have this small human being that I have to raise, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, it is, it's, it's very interesting, but, um, a strong support system is, is the most important thing when, mm. when you're making that transition into motherhood. And it yeah. doesn't even have to be family. I think a lot of times people want it to be family. Sometimes you have to pay for it postpartum doula. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's your other, you know, your other friends, but yeah, it, it, it is, it is difficult, it, especially if you do have a lot of friends that don't have babies because there is this, I don't want to call it a lack of understanding, but it, it, it is, that's what it is. Or it's, it's hard to it's know, a lack of experience. It? Yeah, mm, definitely. Yeah. And I quite yeah. agree about the post postpartum postnatal doula, especially in the world we live in where people move, they're not necessarily near to their families. And like you say, Nina, maybe the family isn't the right terminal anyway. Maybe they need mm-hmm. to get the support from somewhere else. Maybe that's not where they feel, you know, the, the, the most nurture is going to come from. And actually meeting someone potentially during the course of your pregnancy, building up that rapport, that relationship with them and knowing that they're going to hold space for you, knowing that they're going to be there to really support and and love you really as you transition into motherhood, as as mm-hmm. you evolve, because yeah. you know we talk about this lots. I know all three of us have talked about this lots. That without meaning to be cheesy, but when a baby is born, a mother is born as well. A mother is created in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so that is why we we can't neglect that fact. That is such a huge, huge transitional point in a woman's life, whether it be your first, your fourth, your 10th baby. And and Nina, this is one of the things in Morocco, and I'm sure we've seen it in so many different cultures in the world, whereby this holding of women for two, four, six weeks after these babies are born, regardless of how experienced mm-hmm. you are as a mother, regardless of if it's your first or your eighth baby. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. really important. And holding the mother, it goes back to that, doesn't it? Because I think in our culture, it's so baby orientated. It's all about the baby. Mm. And is the baby feeding? Is the baby sleeping? Is the baby? And when we have done our workshops, Lecky and I, and when people come to the clinic for postnatal treatments, they're like, God, it's so nice for someone to be really interested in me. And people are really like, women are really touched. And you're like, and I'm like, you, Nina, I love babies, but I really love the women. Like, I want to mm-hmm. be with a postnatal woman and, you know, unpick the tight hips and kind of, you know, get her, you know, Know, really release the body and release birth from the body and you know it's nice to see the babies but I'm not I'm not that fussed you know because I know that they're fine if if mm. mum's fine you know it's sort yeah. of that's what we need more of I think over here particularly what's it like there Kuwait has a nanny culture and that's what we say right. you know um so many families have nannies and it's, it's very interesting because here in Kuwait there is a, it's, I'll call it a ritual of the woman gives birth and typically within 48 to 72 hours, they have what's called a reception. So the whole family comes, uh, the, the father's side and the mother's side. And sometimes they're there the day of the birth. So if you give birth in the morning, your reception could, could be that evening. And, um, you know, there's makeup artists and women have their hair done because, and they have a special outfit and so wowzers. Yes, it's a, it's a lot and it is massive and they bring in, you know, big flower arrangements and there's candy and there's entertaining and it's it's a huge expectation for these women 
you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I just had this baby. Okay. Now I have to have my hair done. We're going to have the makeup artist come. And, um, while it's, while it's beautiful in a way, it's yeah. also very yeah. distracting for women who do want to breastfeed their babies because these receptions can be anywhere from four to six hours. So it's fascinating because there would be, you know, I don't have some clients who would say, you know, I really don't want to have a reception. They just, they just want to have their babies and just be, um, but it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's cultural and it's family oriented. Um, and Kuwait is a very yeah. family oriented place. That is one thing I absolutely love about this place mm-hmm. is family is, is very tight knit, but then also, you know, there's a lot of pressure on these women to have a reception mm-hmm. and to have the whole family and to entertain after she's just given birth, no matter how she feels. Um, so there's a huge yeah. overlook and overlap on that. But yeah, I would say that a lot more women are speaking out for themselves, you know, if they don't want to have a reception or if they want to wait. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's difficult. I wonder whether you if know? you have it the, yeah. the, the day of the birth, I wonder if, if you have it, if you're going to have to have it, whether you do it sooner rather than later, because at least then the adrenaline might carry you through it. <laughs> you know, when you yeah. get to day three, can you imagine having to put that makeup Gosh. on when the milk's coming in and you've got a couple of watermelons yeah. for boobs and yes. then suddenly the whole family are descending? <gasps> I can't yeah. even imagine. But yeah. I suppose it is wow. about expectation as well. And culturally, what is what's normal, perhaps you've seen around you, that sort of social ecology of what goes on in the community. Yeah, um, it's fascinating. Absolutely. So fascinating to hear about people's different lived experiences, really. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I wanted to talk a little bit, Nina, if it's okay, about your wonderful um, your yoga. And obviously, I'm very lucky, and we'll put the information in the show notes. I've actually firsthand experienced it. Obviously, when we were in Morocco, we had some lovely, lovely yoga sessions with you. You are just the most, and I honestly can't shout this from the mountains enough. You like your no, yoga nidra was like, it's like feels like my safe space, like. Absolutely incredible. Do you you do like online yoga courses, don't you? Yeah, so that I people do. can mm-hmm. can can sort of you know access your courses and they can find mm-hmm. and we'll put that information on so people people can see it too. What got you into yoga? What does yoga mean for you? Because I know it's a huge part of your life. It is. Uh, so interestingly enough, I actually um, really became involved in yoga when I was pregnant with twins. Mm. Um, I, at the time I was doing, um, what you call MPC fitness competition. So I was like, you know, lifting weights really hard, doing lots of cardio and, um, and running and doing these fitness competitions. And that's actually, uh, when I found out I was pregnant was at one of these competitions, <laughs> well, not at one of these competitions, but soon after, you know, I was competing so hard that I hadn't had a period or like it was sporadic or it was very mm. light. So that's why I didn't know that I was pregnant um, until I did. So I was like, wait a minute, I've missed my period like quite a few months. And typically like, I'm like, all right, I'd at least have one day of bleeding, which was not healthy. I I, I know that now. Mm. So when I found out that I was pregnant, 
I was like, okay, I can't keep doing all these really hard workouts. Mm. I'm going to really try yoga. I tried yoga before and it was like, oh, you know, it wasn't really what I was looking for at the time. Um, and so I started with Kundalini yoga and prenatal yoga Mm -hmm. and I felt amazing. I honestly felt like the yoga and the asana part, the postures and the meditation. And it was my first experience with yoga nidra was in this, Mm -hmm. um, prenatal class and I fell in love with it. And I really do believe that that's what helped me, um, through active labor and just really focusing on my breath and breathing down my babies. I think that that was really important was learning the breathing techniques. And I loved it so much that I just continued doing yoga for, you know, I think that was 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. And so I just continued and I was a personal trainer and I, I just started taking different, um, you know, yoga trainings and, and it's just been going on ever since. Yeah. Um, but yoga has... It is my, it's my go-to sanity practice. Um, and I, it, I don't think about it this way, but you know, when I tell my story to people, they're like, you've been through so much there, you know, you've just experienced a whole lot. And when I sit back and think about it, I'm like, it's the yoga, the meditation and the yoga nidra. That's how, <laughs> that's how I've made it through all of this is just, um, you know, really diving into myself and, you know, who am I? And then the more that I discover who I am, the more I can support others, the more I love myself, the more Mm. I care for myself, the more I understand myself as a human being here on this Mm. earth, the the more I'm able to share that with others and, you know, just support them in their own journey of self-discovery, because that's really what this life is all Mm. about. And you, you are yeah. such a radiator. You're a radiator on so many levels. You are so positive, so pro-choice. You're, we'll talk about it more in a second about, you know, women in business, knowing your worth. There's, there's so much that encompasses, you know, what you do, Nina. It feels like, because I was going to say to you, when you give that much, what do you do then to fill the energy levels back up inside of yourself when you give so much of yourself and you know it can feel sometimes like you want to do it, but it can feel a little bit like draining. And it it, it sounds like that that yoga, is it the yoga that, that basically replenishes that in you then? Absolutely. Um, I remember I had a very specific ritual before I would go to a birth and before and when I would come back from a birth. So before I would go to a birth, you know, I would always just meditate. As soon as a, a woman would call me and say, I think it's time, mm. I would just, it, it's like I would start to just kind of settle into my own breath. Um, and I would focus on clearing my own mind so that I could go in, I don't want to say empty. Yes, empty, empty of my own, my own stuff, because we all have our yeah. own stuff, mm-hmm. even as doulas you know, whatever was going on in my own personal life, I would focus on releasing that so that I could be fully present and aware and available for that woman, because you have to be emotionally available for them. And they can tell if you are not, you know, at least 99.9% there for them, they know that they can tell the difference. And it's not, it's not okay for us to bring our own stuff into somebody else's experience. Um, and so I, that's something that, you know, I, I've really honed in with, um, and where I would say yoga has supported me with 
is because I have tools and techniques to not bring my crap into other Mm. people's space, their sacred space. And so I would clear just whatever was going on in my life, no matter what it was, I would focus on just, all right, let that go. I can deal with that when I come back. Let me be completely available for this, you know, for this person. And, um, you know, just putting all of my things aside. And then when I would leave a birth, I had a, I would always go get the greasiest burger that I could find. <laughs> I don't know what it is about birth, <laughs> but so it's like my afterwards, yes! aren't you? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like I would leave there and it's like, I could, you know, you don't even think about whatever it is, you know, you're trying to make mm. sure that you drink water snack when you can, but it's like, as soon as you Mm. leave, it's like, everything just hits you. (laughs) You know, I need water. I need food. I need this. Mm -hmm. I need that. And so I had this one burger place that I would always go to Shake Shack. I'd always go to Shake Shack and I would get a double burger. Yes. A double burger with bacon and like the little red hot thingies that they put on. It was amazing. Anyway. Um, and then I would, and then I would come home. I would shower. I would, you know, kiss on my kids at whatever, Mm. you know, time of day or night it was. And then I'd just be like, okay, mommy needs 10 minutes. And I would go in my room and just light a candle for that, for that new being that's now in, mm-hmm. you know, on this earth plane. And I would just kind of sit and just release because if you understand, you know, if you understand how energy moves, it's like we're holding so much space for mm-hmm. someone else that there is like this build up within you. Birth is, oh, that is like the biggest release of energy. And it has to go somewhere. And sometimes I think it goes to the doula. And so I would just go and just sit and um, do a like little fiery breathing to release all of that from myself. And then I'd go to sleep for, you know, an hour or whatever. I'd cuddle up with my my youngest and, and you know, my teenagers. They're teenagers now, but cuddle up with my youngest and she would watch a show while I would just yeah. rest. Um, and you, you need that, you need that. And you also, as a doula, you need your own support. And that's one thing I think I love about the doula community is that you can, um, rely on other doulas and just talk to them like, oh man, you know, I had this birth and I was there for, you know, 20 hours and da, 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 da. I've never been at a birth for 20 hours, but I know doulas that have been, um, (laughs) but even just still, you know, just being able to, um, use those tools and I would say I have a lot of birth workers who would, um, you know, come to my yoga classes or who would ask me to do a yoga nidra for them after birth because they would need to let go of whatever it was that they were holding on to because it does sometimes take Mm -hmm. you back to your own birthing experiences and you have to let that go and you have to let go of that birthing experience and and allow that to be that woman's Mm -hmm. experience because it's not yours. And I think sometimes as a doula, you, you can kind of get attached mm-hmm. to a woman's birth and you have to be yeah. very mindful of releasing it and allowing that to be their experience. So I find that yoga and meditation and yoga nidra are like, oh, they're lifesavers. They, they have been for me um, and I rely on them heavily. I mean, I have never, Lex sent me a picture of herself after you had done a, a womb yoga thing with them in Morocco and I had never seen her look so peaceful there was this you know she serene darling picture and I was serene. like babe you look amazing I was like what has this woman done it's amazing you know it's like this glowing sort of youthful yeah I mean totally I was like oh, what I looked youthful <laughs> <laughs> but you 
just looked at peace, you know, that like, it was beautiful. Oh. And, and then, you know, obviously the other picture you sent after the hammam and I was like, you look so well. It was, mm. you know, it was amazing, isn't it? So... How, how much this stuff fills us up. I'm so gutted that Nina doesn't live in Brighton. I can't deny it. Really, really selfishly. (laughs) I wanted to look like you looked. (laughs) So you support women with body literacy, reproductive health and cycle awareness, which obviously Mm -hmm. we're so interested in, but lots of people still don't know what this is, do they? So could you explain a bit about what you do and how you support women? Because, you know, we're always quite surprised how little women do know about their cycle sometimes. So it'd be interesting for you to explain it. Okay, so body literacy is, it's a term that was coined by three Canadian women who were women, women's activists, or they are women's activists. And body, body literacy is, it basically encompasses having knowledge and education. So you're observing your body's signals and its symptoms, right? And you learn along the way. And then as you're learning, you learn how to interpret that data, those, mm. you know, signals and symptoms, So when it comes to menstrual cycle charting, it is, there's so many different terms for this. (laughs) So we'll start there. I'm going to start with a very simple one. Fertility awareness. Fertility awareness is tracking your fertile and your infertile times through reading your body signals, its symptoms, and you're tracking your biomarkers like your basal body temperature, your cervical mucus your vaginal sensation, and your cervical position. So there's typically about four things. And depending on the method, there are many different methods of fertility awareness. I know (laughs) it gets really confusing, so I won't go too far into it. Um, But basically, it is a way for you to determine when you are fertile and when you are infertile. And this is important because as you're learning to chart your cycle, you can discover so many things about your body. Women are learning that they have PCOS. They're learning about endometriosis. They're figuring out what things trigger their, their painful or irregular periods. Um, I had one client who realized after about four cycles that every single time she had dairy, she, the next cycle, she had horrible menstrual cramps. And she was like, wow, I could have, she's like, I could have stopped this years ago if I had just stopped eating dairy. It was transformational for her. It was life changing because she had debilitating cramps. She would be in bed for the first two or three days of her period. And it was all because she liked dairy, cheese mm-hmm. and milk and, and things that were disrupting her, her, her cycle. Um, you're able to see things like estrogen deficiency or estrogen dominance or progesterone deficiency. So it's great for women who are trying to conceive because Mm. when you learn to chart your cycle and you're looking at your basal body temperature on a chart, you can see if your estrogen levels are really high or really low. You can see if you have a progesterone deficiency, if your, if your temperatures in your luteal phase drop and it's, it's fascinating because you'll meet women who are like, why did I not learn this mm. years ago? Well, I was just thinking that. I was literally yeah. just thinking, why the hell don't we get teach this to, you know, when mm. we start our menses, why don't we get taught that so that that's how we go into it, you know, sort yeah. of, because I only, I only discovered it later in life. And, you know, most, most women do, don't they? They do. They do. I would say that there's, there's definitely a shift where body literacy is becoming more important and more women are sharing. And I think Mm. we're at this point where it's like periods are no longer dirty. 
for the most part. We're mm-hmm. working on that yeah. to to create a more period positive, you know, environment and society where, mm. listen, women are cyclical beings. We bleed. We, you know, we bring new life into this earth. Hopefully we get to a point where cycles are a normal part and discussing cycles becomes a normal part of conversation where, you know, you can just say like, hey, this morning I started my period, which I actually did, which was very interesting, you know, or, you know, young girls not being, you know, not being afraid to, you know, talk about what's happening in the side their bodies. And, you know, um, especially when I meet women in their 20s and in their 30s, and they're like, I thought I had yeast infections every single month. And I'm like, no, it's just a part of your cervical Mm. mucus. It's a part of your fertile wave. It just means that you're healthy. You know, it's it's not something to be looked Mm. down upon. So I'm 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 really honored to be able to share and bring this knowledge to the table for Mm. women to understand because you really do deserve it. And it's um it's so sad when you think about the amount of people on this earth who have negative thoughts and experiences with their bodies and you can't escape that yeah. you're 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 in this body for as long as you're in it and you need to know yeah. about it and understand how it how it functions and that's how I got into this and and that's what body I literacy and cycle yeah. charting is yeah and moving on that's from that amazing. actually so and it's it is related i wanted to mention because i've talked about this a lot with becky when <laughs> i was in morocco again and we had our week together you you know uh, we had a lot of conversations about sex the whole group did but i remember mm-hmm. you bringing out quite early in the journey um on, on our trip your very like dogged copy of the anatomy of arousal which by the way <laughs> i have spoken about so much since being back i don't know why mm-hmm. it really like i don't know it like touched something in me and i remember and i'm a midwife for god's sake and actually everybody there was a birth worker we were yeah. all reading this book and we were talking to you and like asking you know for more knowledge and guidance and understanding about anatomy and and physiology of sex of pleasure of you know everything to do with that and actually we were all quite limited on our understanding Mm -hmm. like where does this where did this liberation and this knowledge come from we're not taught about it definitely not not in the UK you're not um not about intimacy and pleasure about maybe just the very basic functions and anatomy but Mm -hmm. it certainly doesn't I don't think head into more deeper connections and really understanding your your body i mean i still to this day i have women who come to my lessons and 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 they don't know that they they've got more than two holes yeah they they think that they they wee and they mm. birth at, and they have sex from the vagina and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not belittling that at all i think it's it says more about unfortunately the education that we receive and our um perhaps openness as a society about you know, informing women about their bodies than them being, you know, naive and and not knowing themselves. Mm -hmm. Nina, from your perspective, you know, where did this this thirst for knowledge, this understanding and this openness about, you know, sexual energy and the importance of intimacy and pleasure come from? I would say I was really lucky to have the mother that I did. My Mm -hmm. mom was always very open. My mom, you know, if she went to the bathroom, she left the door open. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember just being a little kid, like, 
what's that? What's that? You know, I was, I was just fascinated by everything. And my mom, I'll never forget the time my mom was like, just go grab a mirror. So I got a mirror and she's like, this is this. My mom had worked in an abortion clinic when Mm -hmm. she was, you know, I think before she had my sister and I, um, and she was just like, my mother was a women's rights activist and, and, you know, pro-choice. And so she was very open about the information. You know, she's just like, this is your vulva. And I learned Mm. proper terms. This is your Mm. vulva. This is your clitoris. This is your labia. You know, this is your vaginal opening. I never, that was not my vagina. That was my vulva. Mm. And I remember just being able to use accurate terms. So honestly, I, I owe this all to my mom and her, just her openness of giving me information when I would ask. And I think I was always fascinated with my body (laughs) and she never really discouraged that. It was just kind of like, you know, that's just Nina. (laughs) It's just Nina. And my sister and I were total, you know, we were polar opposites. Um, So I would say I, I, I just, I've, I've just always been very comfortable with my body and in my own skin and maybe that has to do with the fact that I am an Aries. I think that that does have a bit to do with it. We're very confident people. Um, and I just, I always wanted to understand what was happening. And I think that that's what led me down this path was a, I've always been amazed by the human body and its ability to adapt and overcome and just how it moves and how the body flows. And I, So it was just a natural progression into this work. And I think, you know, it started with, you know, I I did gymnastics and then I ran track and then, you know, I became a personal trainer and then I had my own children and and it shifted into this work around the woman's body. And so with, with pleasure and with sexual energy, it starts with the self Mm. and Mm -hmm. I always understood that. And I was always very comfortable with my own self and with my, my own, you know, sexuality, if you'll say, regardless of what other people thought. And it always started with me. It was never about anybody else. It was always about, you know, myself and how society looks at sexuality and over-sexualization and women reclaiming their sexuality for themselves, I think is extremely important. Yeah, so it's it's really hard. To, yeah, that is a very loaded question. Mm. No, it's it's really. <laughs> but I think it's so. I think it's so important because I I have two girls and, you know, I really really want to teach them about growing up and that you know in sex their pleasure is just as important because that's not a message that I was ever taught. You know, it was always very mm. much about the man. You know, it was you know very much sort of p- pleasing a man is you know all the narrative that I remember being taught as a, as a young kid. And I remember sort of growing up thinking that's not right. And I never wanted my kids to have that. I wanted you know to be able to talk about it openly, but talk about it in a, in an equal term that it was as much about them getting pleasure as about you mm. know. The, the, the partner it's kind of I don't know so important to me and it's a hard one to kind of get right isn't it you sort of go how do I do this <laughs> how do I do you it know- Nina <laughs> <laughs> okay so I have I have two girls my oldest is 16 and my my youngest is now nine and I, I just you know what I followed the same things that my mother did you know I, it was never a my kids come in the room and hurry up and cover up. I, I've never made the naked body like this dirty thing. You know, I, I always yeah. wanted them to feel very comfortable with being naked. And everyone in my house is, you know, even my son. I mean, we don't walk around naked in front of each other, but everyone is really comfortable with their own bodies because 
you know, we talked about it. And mm-hmm. so with yeah. my, my teen, she actually, she charts her cycle and I just talked to her. And when she, I talked about getting her period, you know, before she ever got it. And when she would ask questions about like, what's it like to have your period? And, you know, I took a mirror and okay, I did the same thing my old mother did and was like, this is this, this is this, this is this. Mm-hmm. We pointed everything yeah. out and she really understands it. And so now she's charting her cycle and she gets to see how things shift and change. And she understands her moods a lot better. Um, she understands her period, you know, because we, we don't, it's not taboo. Nothing in our house yeah. is, is off limits. You know, we discuss everything. And so for her, when she got her first period, we had a celebration. We had a period party, literally. Um, we celebrated. Amazing. Yeah, we celebrated. And I made her red raspberry and lemon balm tea. And, you know, we sat and we cuddled up on the couch and we watched movies. And, you know, she she had a bath and I put flowers in there and she got a massage. And it was it, I made a big deal out of it so that it was a it was a beautiful transition for her into womanhood, because I mean, that's really what it is. And then just encouraging her um, and making her feel good about having her period. And she's really comfortable just talking about it. Like, oh, her brother knows when she's on her period. I mean, how many 16-year-old girls just walk around like, I'm on my period today, or I just started my period. And her brother's like, you know, and even sometimes people are like, mom, is Alyssa on her period? Like, you know, (laughs) so it's, it's, it's it's like it's a natural conversation for us to have. So just just talking to them and and being honest about how you feel and, and what's happening in your own cycle. You know, I, I'm, I always tell my kids, you know, like, Oh, I'm in my early infertile days or I'm in my mm. fertile wave or, you know, oh, I'm, I'm ovulated. So, you know, my energy's mm. dipping down again, or I'm, you know, premenstrual, my period's coming soon. The more that we yeah. normalize mm. the menstrual cycle, the more our kids understand it as just it being a natural part of life, mm. just like, you know, sexuality, the clitoris, in case you didn't know, is the only organ in the human body that's made simply for pleasure. That's it. <laughs> it's pleasure. Amazing, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is amazing. And so when you know that, and I remember the first time I, I told my daughter that, and she was like, is that why it tickles? And I was like, yes, that's why it tickles. <laughs> I'm like, it's always going to tickle, honey. It's always going to tickle. That sensation is never going to change. <laughs> I love that. I like you have too many nerve endings in there. Yeah, but it's so important, like you say, to have these conversations, isn't it? I had a day where I'd just shouted at everybody and I was really short-tempered and, you know, and the next morning I, I everyone was having breakfast and I came down and I said, I've just come on my period. I'm really sorry about yesterday. And every, the girls were just laughing and they were like, that's fine, we knew it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know it enables and actually we, we use humor quite a lot in our family anyway but it was quite funny that and you know and I felt the need to apologize because I was awful you know and I think yeah I don't know I'm coming into my peri phase but it was kind of it was mm-hmm. really funny I was just like okay sorry about that but there's almost an immediate forgiveness if I if I just fess up <laughs> I think the more that and the more that people understand that you know it's we we have to get away from that negativity of, oh, you must be bleeding, you know, mm. that that's not necessarily a bad thing. If more people understood that hormones shift mm. and we cannot, yeah. we don't have control over our endocrine system. If mm. people understand that the reason that why we start bleeding is because your estrogen and your progesterone levels drop. Mm. 
So when mm-hmm. we have that drop in hormones, suddenly, of course, we're going to be a little off. We, you know, we, we can't yeah. necessarily, we can't change that. We can't help that. And I think it's more so letting go of the guilt, letting go of the yeah. guilt mm-hmm. and understanding, all right, you know what? I just had a huge hormonal shift. If I feel like this, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. people around you understanding like, okay, you know, she's had this shift in her hormones. All right. We understand she might be a little off, <laughs> you know, for a few days. <laughs> And then, you know, understanding that rise in estrogen as you come into your fertile wave, you know, oh, I'm feeling a little bit more sexual here. You know, I just, you know, smack my husband on the butt or whatever, you know, hey, what's that about? <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a little randy. Is it? We were just talking about that last night. <laughs> and, that, and that's okay. Yeah. And then understanding, yeah. you know, if you're able to explain to your partner, I think I've already ovulated, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little dry. I'm not feeling as sexual mm. right now. Mm. And a lot of women feel guilty about that. Like that's normal mm. for you to mm. have, you know, you feel really sexual during your fertile wave. And then you have a dip where you're just like, eh, you know, mm. eh, yeah, I'm not really yeah. feeling it right now. So I think that that body literacy allows us to have information about our bodies and our cycles and then being able to part of the other part of that body literacy is being able to communicate that mm. to your partner and to your family so that everybody has this, you know, this knowledge of what's happening inside. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's that's the, so the core important. of body literacy. And like you say, we talk about this postnatally, when you know what's happening, when you know what your hormones are doing, when you know what your body is physically doing, you can kind of lean into those feelings with acceptance rather than fear or fighting it or kind of trying to kind of squash Mm. it down and carry on as normal. It almost allows you to kind of really welcome those, those transitions, doesn't it? And I just think, uh, yeah, it's made me kind of think of all the things I want to go and talk to the kids about. (laughs) Absolutely. I have um I have a story from a while back that absolutely made like tickled me, which was that um my neighbour her daughter's the same age as my daughter. They're both seven and they're like best friends. They they really love each other to pieces. And they were coming back from the beach and my neighbour's daughter turned around to to Ivy, my daughter, and said, I think I've got my sand in my wee wee bits. And <laughs> Ivy turned to her and went, What are wee wee bits? Are you talking about your vagina or your vulva? And, and my, my neighbor's daughter was like, what's a vulva? I thought that was a sort of car. <laughs> and Ivy, Ivy was like, the vagina is the inside bit and the vulva is on the outside. And she was just, anyway, my neighbor I just said that. she was laughing so hard. She literally was just like, she just let the conversation play out. And my neighbor's a lawyer and I'm a midwife. And she's like, you can tell who's, kid, who's the kid of the midwife in the car. <laughs> it made me laugh, it did. Nina, I want to talk to you a little bit about business. Mm, and I, okay. fi- I want to talk to you about women in business because yeah. I don't know if you know this as well, but you have been such a mentor to me. I mean, this is just like the Nina Lovin show, basically. Aww. No, but, but truly <laughs> because... Sometimes in sometimes in business meetings, sorry to interrupt you, Lexi, but it's really important, Nina, to hear how much you've affected someone because sometimes we'll be sitting there and we're having this brainstorming session and Lexi goes, hold on a minute, what would Nina say? <laughs> And I love it. Honestly, I must get a t-shirt yeah. made up. Oh, <laughs> I, 
need I need one of those bracelets. What would Nina do? Because oh my gosh, you're melting my heart. No, darling, and I'm not just saying this, but paying lip service. I am telling you. So basically, there were just a few things that really like penetrated and like got stuck in my brain that you were talking about when we were together and and you know going forward from there because we have an accountability whatsapp group don't we which is great the sort of got started Mm -hmm. afterwards but there were a couple of things that really stuck with me because we were a group of women really trying to use our experience and our skills to make a living for ourselves to you know our Mm -hmm. experience being perhaps you could maybe say, and it's a bit cheesy, but like an authority on something that we've worked very hard on for a very long period of time. And there were just a few things that stuck with me. One of which was like, you know, you would always talk about like knowing your why. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Also really encouraging us to take a moment to really understand our worth and what we bring to the table. Yeah. Also understanding when we are working, it has to be worth our while because that is time away from our children. And I remember this is something you, you know what I'm talking about here and it really stuck with me. And I remember saying to Becky, you know, we're spending hours writing a book or, you know, we're we're doing a blog or or, or something along those lines. We're running a workshop. That is time away from our children. It's time doing what we love Mm -hmm. to do, but it is time, you know, away from the children. If that why isn't necessarily financial, then that's okay. But if it does need to to have an element of that, because that's part of you and your worth and your experience and what you're able to, to offer up, I think it's about recognising that and kind of not being afraid and like almost like leaning into the fact that there is no shame in wanting to make money out of, mm-hmm. you know, the work you do. Could you talk to us a little bit more about this? And it doesn't have to be about birth work. I'm talking about women in whatever work they do. Oh, there is this idea that so many women have about themselves that they're Mm. not worth what they should be charging, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know enough. I'm, you know, there's, oh, there's somebody out there that's better than me. This person has more information. And I don't, I don't know where this came from. No, I know where this came from. I remember when I first had um, my, my children and the, the little ones. And it was the, the decision of, okay, do I go back to work and, you know, do I put them in daycare or hire someone to watch them or whatever? And I was like, Mm. I don't care how much money I make. It's not, it's not worth me being away from them when they're this young. Uh, So I carried that into my business. Like every hour I'm away from my child or from my children is that's time I can never get back. I can never get that back. Not no matter how hard I try, I'll never get that back. And so it was just like, all right, well, how much do I charge? Mm. Well, first of all, the time away from them is priceless. So I'm going to make sure that I charge my worth. What do I bring to the table? Mm. And so many women have the hardest time answering that question. It's like, but I want to do this work. I want to support, you know, other women. I, 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 I want to you know, I, I want to do this work, but mm. I'm so scared to ask for money. I don't know where that comes from. Mm. I really don't. But, you know, my goal has just been to really encourage other women to mm. ask, just ask. No. And then don't even ask, tell. Mm. How much are you worth? How much is the time away from your children that you can never, ever get back? How much is that time worth? 
And when you Mm -hmm. ask the question that way, or when I ask the question that way, it's like a little light bulb goes off Mm -hmm. and they look back like, oh my goodness, you're absolutely right. Why have I been doing this, you know, for, for free? Or why have I been undervaluing my time? Why have I been undervaluing Mm -hmm. my skills and my expertise? So whether you're a, whether you're a lawyer or whether you're a birth worker or a midwife or whether you're a librarian, you deserve to be paid for your time, especially if you have children, because it's time away from them. And women are afraid to say no. That's another thing. I think we talked about that in Morocco Mm -hmm. too. Women are afraid to say no. Yes. Setting boundaries for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that I think saying no and asking for your worth is part of setting those boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, figuring out your why, figuring out your why is extremely important. And if your why isn't strong enough, then Mm. you're always going to play small always because your why isn't strong enough. If that makes sense. I hope so. I remember Nina, the other thing I remember you talking about, which I think again, it could be all sorts of different careers is like, you really have to justify now attending courses and taking Mm. um, qualifications. And this is another thing that you kept bringing up. Why are you doing that? And is it because you still don't have faith in your own expertise and you're trying to buy it from somebody else still? And don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place and there are certain courses that are worth it and they're going to really enrich your career. But I think you are always very passionate about being really selective about who's going to get your money. I remember one of your terms is they're not getting another dime Mm. out of me. And and, and make (laughs) sure that it it is though right and making sure that it will serve you how is it going to serve me if I take that person's course yeah yeah exactly I go back to school and Um, I do another qualification when you're a working mother there's always I I personally had this like I've got to prove myself I've got to prove that I can still do it even though I've got children and I I hate it like Mm -hmm. it makes me so angry but that was definitely in me like I had to try even harder now that I was a mother to prove myself do you know what I mean Mm. yes absolutely sometimes I wonder if that's our own stuff if it Uh it really is societal pressure or if it's just the pressure that we put on ourselves to try and prove I am worth this, or I am worth this, or I can do this. I can do everything. And we need to let go of that. Mm, We we don't have to do everything and be everything to everyone. And it's like, I don't know if that's the, the mothering or the nurturing aspect of, of many women, or if it's just, you know, we want to fit into this box. I don't know. That's a, that's a, it's a very deep, um, it's a very deep question or just, just something to, to really reflect on. But I would say, um, that with the courses and with the trainings, trying to prove and just collecting all this knowledge, what is the point in collecting all of this knowledge if you're never actually, and you, you should, you should always keep striving for more and more and more and more. We, we all should, we should all, you know, Collect knowledge and share it. Collect knowledge and share it uh, Mm. and give it back. But at what point do you say, I have enough to share this with other people? Mm. Mm -hmm. And I've run into so many women that will be like, oh, and I'm signed up for this course and that course and this course and that course and that. And and at some point I just Mm. ask them, why? 
Because if I start to ask them questions about it, they already know the topic. So it's, it's fascinating. And to make sure that it's actually adding value to what it is that you're already doing. And I think especially in the birthing world, especially in the birthing world, when you get, when yeah. you come in, it's like when you start as a doula and now it's like, oh, now I need to take this baby wearing course. And now, oh my goodness. And now I'm going to become an IBCLC. Oh, and you know, and, and I can be a breastfeeding counselor so I can be both. And then I'm going to get into cloth diapers. Oh, and now I want to be a postpartum doula. Oh, but now I need childbirth education. And now I need to go take this Rebozo class and it's never <laughs> ending. And now I'm going to be an herbalist so that then I can make my own herbs. And, I, and it's like, yeah. ah, just calm down, stop, take a breath, yeah. you know, because <laughs> then you also get to the point where it's like you're the Jill of all trades and master of none. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I believe in having a niche and serving that niche and serving a, not uh, serving your community mm. in your niche. And I feel like that's the one thing that I, that I myself did figure out and that I do really, really, really well is I was all over the place. Oh my goodness, I can be a doula and I can be a postpartum doula and I can be a childbirth educator and I can also be a yoga teacher and I can do that because, you know. And then it was like, you know what? I'm really passionate about women understanding their menstrual cycle in whatever capacity that is, whether that's understanding your menstrual cycle so that you can get pregnant, whether that's understanding your menstrual cycle so that you can avoid pregnancy or whether whatever And then I just kind of melded yoga into this cycle conscious yoga so that women could learn about their menstrual cycles and tune into them while they were focusing on themselves. And I decided to stop taking courses. And I remember Mm. I told Alexis about that. And I was like, you know, I know enough. I know enough about the menstrual cycle. I, I'm, you know, I understand yoga. You can always study, but to just take course after course after course, trying to be everything to everyone makes yeah. zero sense. Focus on what you're passionate about and have this little niche, you know, that, that is, that is important to you and that you can share passionately with other people. Mm. Stop yeah. spending money on courses to be everything to everyone. You know, that, that's my, my best tip there. Oh, it's, it's such a good that. one. We finish every episode by asking our guests the same question, Nina. Mm-hmm. So if you could add a note to pop inside a mother box heading out to a brand new mum with your best bit of advice in it, what would it say? Ooh, that's a good one. Listen to your heart would be, I think, the simplest is just listen to your heart because our hearts don't lie. (laughs) Mm. It's when we allow our thoughts and our minds to take over and we let that rational, logical side come in. Just listen to your heart, what feels right inside, you know, especially when it comes to your baby and to yourself, your own self-care, just listen to your heart. What is your heart speaking to you? What is it saying to you? Yeah, that would be it. Listen to your heart. Really. I love that. I love it. Nina, thank you so, so much for coming. I've said this before, <laughs> I'll say it again. I have been 
too excited about having you on here. I can't <laughs> wait to see you again in person. I know we're living in crazy times at the moment. I know it's going to happen at some point. And for you to take time yes, out of your day to, to come and talk to us, share your experiences, you know, share your wealth of knowledge. It's a complete honour. We love you to pieces. And thank you so much for chatting with us today. Yeah, thank you, Nina. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks once again to Nina for joining us today and sharing her experience, wisdom and knowledge with us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do, look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-Be, where we will talk further about birth, parenthood, relationships and much more. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. Do let us know what you thought over on Instagram and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. See you next time on Notes from the Mother Box. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.